0: Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone.
2: Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure that I introduce special guest Victoria White to the show today. Victoria is an author, a renowned jewelry designer, entrepreneur, and TV personality. She's quite an inspiration, and I'm excited to have her on the show. Our guest immigrated from South Korea to Los Angeles in 1971 with her family and with only $30 to her name. Within a short period of time, Victoria adopted to a new culture, learned English and made a new friends. Her dream was to study literature or art in college, but her parents urged her to study business instead. Victoria worked full-time while completing a Bachelor of Science degree in economics from UCLA and an MBA from USC. After graduate school, Victoria was offered a marketing job at a jewelry manufacturing company in Los Angeles. Much to her surprise, she enjoyed her artistic abilities more than she ever imagined. Realizing that there's a market for high-quality stylist jewelry at affordable prices, Victoria started her own company in 1989 on a shoestring budget to spend more time with her family. She has founded several other successful businesses since then. Our guest has worked with a variety of global retailers ranging from major department stores to duty-free stores, as well as internet and tea retailers. For the past 23 years, 19 years on HSN and four years on Shop HQ, Victoria has been sharing her jewelry designs with millions of viewers during her monthly shows. She's built her highly successful business following her passion for jewelry without sacrificing her family life. Throughout her career, Victoria's had to invent ways to keep her products relevant and in order to consistently outperform her competition and thrive. Victoria is the author of the upcoming book, Million Dollar Hobbies, which is set to be released soon. She's also the author of a science fiction novel, Shattered Sky, a 94,000 word science fiction young adult thriller. And she has her own podcast called the Million Dollar Hobbies Podcast. In terms of all the obstacles that she's overcome in her life, if there's anyone, that you would look up under Google and look up amazing story of the American dream rags to riches, Victoria's face should appear because studying her background and everything that she's overcome personally is going to demonstrate to our audience today, perseverance and focus and creativity together can create some important life changes and some great opportunities and impacts on many levels. And so I want to welcome Victoria to the show today. To talk about her background. And Victoria, welcome. Thank you so much for coming today.
3: Wow, Jason, what an intro. Uh, you're making me feel really great. So I don't think maybe I shouldn't <laughs> talk anymore, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I wanna ask you this. Yeah. You are truly a rags and riches story. And I know that the term rags and riches, people have different ideas of that. Can you tell our audience where how you actually started out and where you are today and, and what got you from point A to point B in terms of? your own recollection, what drove you, what got you to where you are today?
3: So the rags, the rags to riches, the rags, I can completely sympathize, you know, uh, agree with riches, what it's yet to be seen, I guess, you know, <laughs> sure. so uh, basically, um, as far as what drives me, I think that I'm a firm believer, that no matter, you know, first of all, life, I don't think I would have said this uh, in, in the beginning of my journey, but today, cause I'm a little bit older and supposedly wiser when you get older. One of the very, very few benefits of getting old um, is that I would say life will happen to you. Meaning things that you don't want happening, unpleasant things, um, you know, heartbreaks, uh, financial meltdowns, personal financial meltdowns, all those things will happen. You know, it's, I think we were just DNA coded to experience all those things. And, When we experience and embrace them, you become better at that. So it's almost like encouraging successful failures uh, in many ways. So when those things happen, instead of sitting there wondering, you know, why is it happening to me? How come everybody else is living happy and, you know, joyful and doing very little of anything? And somehow they tend to have a lot more than I do. All those things can play tricks in your mind. So I'm a firm believer of doing. At least the one thing, focus on the one thing that you can do for yourself. And um there is a a great um, Chinese or ancient like I think it's I'm not sure if it's particularly Chinese or not, but it is a saying that i'm I'm sure everyone agrees with, and you've heard it many times before. You know every journey starts with a a thousand mile journey starts with a single step. So that single step is what I always look for. If I want to do something, I don't look for anything huge, because when you do that, you are setting yourself up for failure. So think about the one thing, put one foot in front of the other one and think about the one thing you can do. And that one thing you can do today, not three years from now. So for me, when I first landed in America, the one thing that I could do... Uh, because I was pretty young, was to learn to speak English. Because without learning to speak English, I had no friends. I couldn't understand anything. I, you know, life was kind of paralyzing. It's, this is especially before uh, English as a second language was anything. I mean, you, you didn't speak English, you were basically uh, invisible at that time. But I will say that. Even that, you know, even that the first two years when you didn't speak any English and you don't, I went to school, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know a thing. The only thing I excelled in was math because math is pretty universal. Um, it got me to, you know, I had to kind of like sketch things out to talk to people. I had to like draw things out to try to explain, you know, what I'm trying to say. So in the end, it kind of did benefit me because I got pretty good at sketching. You might have imagined, <laughs> you know. Sure <Yeah>, of that. <laughs> so.
2: When did you first discover that you were as creative as you are? Was it during that time frame when you started sketching things when you first got to the United States as a child?
3: Oh, Actually, um, since I was a little kid, I had always uh, the one thing I know going way back, you know, my earliest memory of my life, like the first the things that are very crystal clear, there's some faint memories of things that I barely remember, but the crystal clear memories of myself goes back to when I was maybe three years old. And I would um, ask, I would beg my mother to uh, read to me because I couldn't read. And uh, because that was a way, because I lived in a very small town, the same people, same kids, you know, there were like 20 kids in school, the total school, not in class. So you meet the same kids, same people, same parents, same teachers, same beach. Like, and we didn't have, uh, we had TV, uh, my parents had TV, but the connections never went that far. So that TV had mostly snow, black and white snow. So basically that is how I saw the world. So my first creativity exercise was just being imaginative because when you're a kid and, you know, you're pretty much on this little island and they're talking about like kids in New York City or, you know, kids in London or whatever, it's very different. I'd, I'd have my mother uh, read to me. And then uh, in school, like when in grade school, when they had, um, what do you call it, uh, like a career day. Mm -hmm. So they would have, you know, parents who are really uh, successful to come and talk about, inspire kids, like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, the boys would say they want to grow up to be a fireman, policeman, you know, Mm -hmm. um, all these things. Occasionally, you might have a kid that said, I want to be a lawyer. But I, when it was my turn, I just like blurted out, I'm going to be like Van Gogh. And everyone kind of laughed at me like, because most kids don't even know who Van Gogh is. So I think I always had very imaginative mind and also curiosity. I was so curious about the world outside of you know, where I was. And I just really wanted to embrace that.
2: I have a personal belief being intuitive myself, that when people have a high level of creativity, that they have their own level of intuition that they rely on when creating.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's true. Cause you have to be so close to your feelings Yes. and you do, I think a lot of people, and I'm not going to judge anybody who is not creative. And I don't actually consider myself all that creative. People. Other people have told me that I was very creative, but I would say that when I uh, sketch out designs or when I do a collection, I always start with a feeling like, you know, I'll do like, uh, like in the fall, a lot of times, you have this beautiful, wonderful, like family, warm, you know, uh, fireplace kind of moments. And it gets you into that mood. And then you're actually designing pieces that elevate that. I think when you're dealing with mostly numbers or you, are, uh, you you've just told yourself you're not creative, so you're not even going to try to be creative, what happens is that you're suppressing a lot of your own feelings. Because if you're feeling like, you know, I'm talking to Jason and, you know, Jason normally he's this way and that way, but I wonder if he's okay, because you know what, he was just a little off today. Like normally he would say, you know, um, how, how are you? And uh, how is your family? But today he just said, oh, you know, how are you? And then he just went right on. So, you know, little things like that, even something so subtle, you actually, now, if that was the only thing, it's one thing, but then later on in the conversation, you might go, well, you know, Jason actually really, really loves talking about this. And when he talks about that, his eyes lights up and all that. And, you know, he didn't do that today. I wonder, you know, if something's going on. And sometimes when you actually do find out, it could be that something's on his mind. Maybe he wasn't feeling well. Maybe he had a lot of other stuff going on. But I think that if you are in touch with your feelings, if you're in touch with um, constantly have a check and, and balance system, you also know your tendency to, kind of figure out what's what's next and i think that's that's a gift
2: absolutely i want to do one of these hypothetical questions i like to do every now and then let's say we're at a party you and i are at a party and there's an icebreaker you know how they do icebreakers sometimes well i used to it back in college an icebreaker in this particular icebreaker they're asking each of us to describe ourselves with one word what word would you use and why
3: one word wow that's a tough one i would say resilient. Excellent. Why? Yeah. Because I think there's almost nothing you can throw at me that I don't, you know, that I feel like I can't handle. And I'm not saying I feel like I'm such a great, you know, crisis manager, but I really have this idea that anything that happens to me is a gift. So when somebody, you know, lies to me, betrays to me or anything, literally anything that happens to me. I think to myself, like, okay, well, usually <laughs> something like that actually comes with some silver lining. So where is my gift? So when I when you think about it that way, and I also think too that, you know, I believe there's only like two things that could happen to you. One is you take it on and you do what you can, you know, whatever unpleasant thing or unplanned thing that is. Then um, you have a goal. And your goal you fail miserably okay it doesn't work out. Usually when things don't work out, you actually you learn a lot from those. So either I got instant success by having it work out or I've got even something better, which would be some life lesson. Feedback. So, right? Yeah. So I don't actually, and I think that a lot of those uh, things that didn't work out for me in the beginning, such as, you know, not having any friends, you know, had all kinds of time being required to sketch things out in, in granule detail. So those things, I think actually were gifts, you know, amazing gifts later on that, that I would use for the rest of my life. But I, I would just say that, um, and I think that's the lesson, you know, anybody who's listening. If you take that attitude, that approach in life, uh, then by definition, you don't have any failures, right? Sure. So I would say resiliency is probably my the way I would describe myself.
2: When did you first decide that you wanted to work for yourself?
3: Oh, that was really easy. Um, so when I first came to America, my parents. So I, you know, I spent a lot of time. Uh, I, you know, back in Korea we were not rich people, but we still had, we were better off than most people out there. Uh, Korea had just gone through, uh, as you know, it had gone through a pretty nasty civil war, which still divides the country in half. North and South is the only country that's divided now in half around the world. So it was about 10 or 15 years after the whole civil war happened. um, And the political aftermath just got worse and worse for a couple of decades. So Basically, I, um, things were pretty tough for most people, but my parents were you know somewhat better off than most people. Uh, they were very comfortable. So my mom stayed home with um, the kids, and then she had help to household help. We had a, a cook for us, we had a driver. Um, my dad went to you know work probably like four days a week. So I spent a lot of time with my parents. And then when we came to America, all of our money got frozen and uh, they both ended up working two jobs. I mean, my mom ended up going to, going to work at a sewing factory and like she went to work at a sewing factory during the day and then she brought home, a, they brought it like a sewing machine in our apartment and she would like pretty much do piecework at night. So I would say um, I was the oldest of the five. And so I went from spending almost 100% of my time with my parents to no time with my parents. So I felt like I didn't know it at that time, but, you know, because at that time I was surviving. I took care of the young, my younger siblings. I mean, I took them on the bus um, to drop my brother off at nursery school and, you know, all, all these things that happened. But when I got out of college, I went to graduate school and I was getting, I got a pretty good job and life was great. It was like my American dream. And then as soon as I got promoted, I was working more hours. I had a lot more responsibilities and it was just at one point i was just getting so stressed out i was literally working 14 hours a day in the office and i was i had a 90 minute commute each way in la and i usually took work home so you know i thought one day okay well my children are going to live the same way that i had to grow up which was they're not ever going to see me you know here uh, my parents had to work like manual labor for about two years. Uh, my father eventually got his doctorate and everything. Uh, things worked out fine. But for his two years, he lost like 40 pounds and, you know, he he did. It was pretty rough. So I felt like here I had the means to provide for them and spend time if I didn't, if I wasn't so greedy. So I thought, you know, how much money would it cost me to live a, a, a comfortable existence here in America? And, uh, and I thought at that time in 1989, the number was like 36,000 a year, I thought if I could make $3,000 a month, but I could work like 25 to 30 hours a week, and I could spend that time with my family, that would be my home run. So and I didn't want my kids, you you know, because I I did the numbers and I thought, okay, I could make a lot more money. But by the time I pay for the nanny for this and that, my quality of my life was going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So I thought if I could make thirty six grand a year, and I could work the, the you know what I wanted to do, which was to do jewelry design, that would be my home run. So, and then I thought you know if I'm gonna take a chance, I'll, i I want to take a chance like right in the beginning, because that you know beginning of my life rather than when I'm forty or fifty. So absolutely, yeah. So I would say like right after I got my <laughs> second job, which actually paid pretty well, paid more than double you know what my goal was. And I had a huge upward potential, but I thought mm, I can't do that. So
2: I, I think you mentioned, too, that the market at the time was women in management positions and female executives, for example. And I want to see if you can share that. What motivated you to create your brand and fit the, mock, the, the jewelry market niche? I find yeah. that fascinating. And I think that's intuitive, too. You use your intuition there, in my opinion. to oh,
3: yeah. All that out. And be, it's, it's amazing. You know, Jason, how uh, that is so astute of you because I think that um, when you look at successes, I mean, as you know, I have uh, an MBA and all those degrees, but I want to say the things that matter to building a business, things that matter to living the quality of life that you want to live. And when I mean, you know, you don't need $500 million to make you happy. Okay, <laughs> you're making, you know, I'd say I was really happy when I made like 75 grand. <laughs> so, I mean, most people could be very happy at 150 or so uh, if you really like bring it down to the bare basics. So, when I say quality of life, meaning the quality of the relationships you have, health, wealth, uh, wisdom—you know, all these things—a a perfect balance. So, I would say the way you get that isn't by some marketing book. It isn't from some sleek, you know, ad campaign. It is really intuition um a lot of you know your innate um a sense of who you are and where the where the market's going I, I would say intuition is a huge factor because you could be looking at all these numbers <laughs> and you know when you look at all these numbers um you can analyze, you go you know I'm looking at a set of numbers you know like numbers one numbers two and they they're slightly different which one do I even then if you even if you have all these data your intuition tells you, instead of A, B, or C, I'm going to go with the D. You know what I mean? So I think intuition is really important. Um, so so what happened was back in 89, I was, I mean, I think the graduating class of, um, you know, 84, like mid 80s was the first time when females Uh, female employees actually had managerial positions. You know, we had titles like, you know, manager, uh, director of marketing, director of finance and things like that. And some of us actually had, you know, VP of something. A lot of times when you're sitting next to uh, your male counterpart um, whose wife isn't working, (laughs) you know, uh, it was really kind of rough because um, those of us who worked in that managerial capacity felt like we needed to be equal um, or to get equal pay, we need to actually be better than equal. So you're working like crazy, you're working longer hours. A lot of times our bosses, is like the, the next level up, executive vice presidents were all men. You know, we went to work looking like little guys. We had, um, you know, little white button down shirts. You know, ours might, might have a rounded collar, the men would have a pointed collar. And we had like tailored suits, you know, uh, suit, uh, skirt suits kind of thing, little pumps, stockings. Uh, I know I'm dating myself, but that is the truth. We we used to do that. And there wasn't, jewelry industry is the oldest. I mean, it's been around for 2000 years. Jewelry, like gold and silver that's been mined 2000 years was still in circulation today. So basically it's an industry that just refuses to evolve. And so you have, you know, all these working women who now, you know, they were the one great benefit about all these working women is they were getting paid pretty well. So they had disposable income, and they wanted to um, have some way to feminize their appearance, um, or just you know feel like they their their true self could come out at the office. So the jewelry industry um, who catered to the nighttime jewelry, you know, fancy diamonds, and uh, you know, this is a two carat, five carat cocktail ring to some social circles that's very ostentatious for um, working women. And it's also very impractical for security point of view. And then lastly, do you really want to go to work looking, you know, wearing something that, that it's, you know, 50, you know, hundred thousand dollars <laughs> work, ask your boss for a raise, right? That's not going to happen. Uh-huh. And then lastly, it's very impractical to create a look every day. That's different because once you buy that kind of money, you know, you buy one in a lifetime, you're not buying more and more. So Daytime jewelry at that time was mostly junky stuff like plastic um, mm-hmm. things would be clanking and rattling um, and they were very uh, really just looking like, you know, like animal prints uh, very big and bold pieces uh, they're really nice today but at that time they were very kind of frowned, frowned upon, so there was no jewelry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really was elegant, sophisticated, understated, um, that enhanced who you were, you know, pretty much adorned your personality. So when you walked in the room, instead of people saying, oh, my God, i at get that jewelry, they go, oh, my God, you know, there's Victoria. So I kind of focused on that look and I marketed towards the women. You know, basically, my, all my marketing material would say something like, hey, if you want to look polished, intelligent, you know, you want to exude the look of success, Uh, And you don't want to pay a fortune for it. You know, here is a collection of jewelry that's made specifically for you, designed for you. Um, So that worked really well because there was no, uh, in fact, I got so much resistance from the market, Jason. Like, even after I had done like $10 million, the industry still thought I was a joke. So, well.
2: What would it take to establish that you weren't to be taken? You need to be taken seriously in in terms of your product? I mean, that's just well, something.
3: That- I'm not taking it as a joke anymore.
2: Exactly.
3: <laughs> figure, so I don't think so. So that's a good news.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Who's your greatest
2: influence and why?
3: Um, I love uh, Maya Angelou's quote, uh, which is, and it's so appropriate for my business. And that is, you know, people uh, will forget what you do or what you say, but they will not forget how you made them feel and i think that jewelry is made uh, is supposed to make you you know feel like you're special it's supposed to make you feel like you've accomplished something it's supposed to sort of encapsulate your milestone moments and those don't don't have to be like earth-shaking moments it could be you know something like hey i uh, you know lost 10 pounds or i went to school at night finally got my high school degree to, um, you know, hey, I just got a huge promotion. It could be anything. But usually when you do have something that makes you feel great, you do end up getting, you know, that's where jewelry really shines. And so when jewelers forget why they're designing jewelry and they're like, oh, that cross is really cute and I'm just going to copy that and, you know, sell it out there or whatever, you know, it's that's when you really lose the customer. So like when I, um, I love crosses and when I design you know, I'll go through like two, three years of not offering a single cross. But when I do do it, it will be because it's meaningful and it makes sense to somebody, you know, because if I, if I don't, you know, feel like I don't have a, a connection to a particular design or feeling about that, then I just won't do it because I'm just not good at faking it. So, <laughs> you
2: know. It's, it's beautiful to be in your authentic path and not to deviate from that and have no fear and just pursue to, right. to be able to blaze your own trail, create your own um, reality, right? I mean,
3: yeah. And I think, you know, too, though, Jason, I think that um, if you're a small company, you know, you don't have a lot of tools. You can't compete. Like if I, if I got a, you know, a spritzer I'm making, you know, and I'm competing with the coca Colas or Pepsi's of the world. You're never going to outspend them, you're not going to be outsmarting them. What you can do, though, is if you're authentic and you are, you know, you can sell your personality. You can have many people really love you, fall in love with you, and be loyal and understand the different little nuances. So if you lose that, then I would say that's your number one advantage. You know, the, all of you, the good, bad, and the and the vulnerable and the scared and um, and the confident, all of that packaged together because Americans really don't, I, I don't think like they want perfection from you. They don't want, you know, like I don't, when I see people like on Instagram and things like that, and they've got like the perfect size two body with the perfect looking boyfriend or with the perfect hairdo, <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not inspired by that. I yawn. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not inspired by it. You just go to the next thing because they're not real. So, but what they do, you know, I think that's what I love about America. You know, when I first came here, life was pretty harsh, but I still so loved it because one of my favorite places in the world is New York City because everything goes, everybody's so transparent. They'll just let you know, like how they feel. And uh, sometimes you may not like it, but you know, there's beauty in that. So I have found that when you are brutally honest with yourself and with your customers, with everybody you interact with, uh, and you say everything uh, with a great heart, you know, Americans really root for that underdog that's trying hard. You know, there's there's no place like America that really embraces their underdogs. I mean, they're very protective of you. And so I would say embrace your flaws, really. I mean, I think- even
2: diamonds have flaws in them.
3: All diamonds do have flaws. I mean, there are very few that don't. But I mean, I'll give you an example. One of the most prized gemstones outside of America is jade. The, I think Coco Chanel had her jade, uh, she had white jade um, you know, carved into camellias because that was her that was her favorite flower. And I remember one time I was in Hong Kong. Uh, they had auctioned that off. And it, I mean, the opening bid on this thing was more than a million dollars. I mean, wow. obviously it was Caucas- coca but it was a beautiful you know, piece of jade. Yeah. But the thing I love about jade is that, and the people who collect the multi-million dollar jade, is that th- it gets its beauty from the flaws. You know, those little grains that go on, uh, it gets mm-hmm. its beauty from those, because that gives you character and gives you, uh, you know, uh, the beauty of it. So I would say that if you look for the you know the perfect boring blah, um, that's what you're gonna get. Even in I'm uh, a dozen, right? Yeah. So,
2: I have a question. Since we're talking about gemstones, I collect crystals and gemstones just for spiritual purposes, actually, healing for myself. And this is rose quartz, and I use this when I meditate. I just want to ask you, you delve in this world. What's your favorite gemstone for yourself that you enjoy? I know you mentioned jade just now. I was wondering what's what like what kind of stones would you you know, say that you like personally.
3: Jason, that's like asking me to pick a child, my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's tough. Um, or saying like, what is your favorite dish? You know, people have said that to me, like, what's your favorite dish? And I'm like, I don't know, because I love sushi and I love pasta and I love, you know, the Greek food. Um, I mean, I I think that um, there. I mean, if you ha- if I had to pick one today to like, you know, Get one like a ring made for myself i would say that would be like the party by tourmaline because it is just so uh the color of that is like so electric and tranquil um i love the stone it's just very expensive i don't like it because it's expensive yeah. it's just that it is there's no other stone that looks like it so i love that uh, but i do love all gemstones because it is mother nature creates them yeah. over um a billion years and it is truly in her garden. So uh, I, I personally like gemstones that don't have to be treated. Um, like, like the rose quartz you have. Those are great. They're very cool to the touch. And, you know, and um, I am actually going to, um, I've been thinking about doing a whole uh, healing uh, gemstone line for from a website, like on a YouTube channel. Because a lot of people don't understand the, the properties of uh, the incredible gemstones that we have. And, sure. and they're not even expensive. You no, know? these are cheap. Yeah. Yeah.
2: My best friend owns a crystal shop in Tampa, so mm-hmm. I get good, yeah. good tabs on the different yeah. stones and stuff.
3: Yeah.
2: I um, I was just curious. It just doesn't cross my mind when I think about what you do and your expertise. So,
3: what's your favorite, Jason? I'm gonna put you on the spot.
2: You know, I like labradorite, the fish skin looking oh, one. From okay. for med- I use it for meditation yeah. purposes. When oh, I do yeah. readings for people, yeah. I'll suggest rose quartz. If someone comes and asks me for guidance on a relationship or the deceased loved one, we're definitely a little spiritual here, but. I always tell people rose quartz is a good stone. If no one's ever actually encountered meditation with crystals or just the calming, soothing nature yeah. of crystals, my living room looks like a crystal showroom because yeah, my best friend helped me set it up. It looks like a mini little design area. You can see some yeah. of them, but um, that's just one of my favorite things. I always like to to find out about is what, how do people view how do my guests view certain crystals and that kind of thing. So.
3: If you love uh, labradorite, uh, you have you have you seen rainbow moonstones? I have,
2: I have. I don't have any in front of me That's anymore. a sister They're stone. They're
3: yeah, beautiful. Sister stone, yeah.
2: Well, interestingly. Yeah. interesting. You know, um, when I started doing the psychic stuff, I, I delved into crystal healing because I just look at all different healing modalities. And yeah. I didn't realize that ancient Romans and the Greeks used to use citrine and rose quartz and amethyst. They used amethyst for like people who are hungover. They used right. to, for people with addictions. And I think right. that's like, what, two, two millennia ago. I mean, when you think about that kind of stuff, It's interesting, you know, to me.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with you. And uh, labradorite uh, moonstone, I actually do a lot of work with both of those. Um, And if you put like uh, either the labradorite or the moonstone next to like a like a natural turquoise, uh, they just take on because all the blue hues are basically back and forth. But yeah, uh, we digress. But it it just they're just um, a lot of things from the earth actually have healing properties and
2: absolutely. I'm curious. I want to ask you this. You express your creativity in many different ways. I want to ask you about your writing. I know that you are an avid writer. And I think your whole life, you've always had an interest in literature and art. Right. And it matches your jewelry design. And you have your business acumen. But I wanted to ask you about what motivates you to write. And I wanted to ask you about Shattered Sky. And I know you have the Living the American Dream Your Way coming out. And I just wanted to see if you could share those with our audience.
3: So uh, the Shattered Sky actually is a... um... Uh, science fiction that takes place in the year 2046. And I chose, I wanted to say, well, first of all, having, I'm, I'm so blessed. I really am, um, you know, I have more than I ever thought I could in terms of life experiences. So I've traveled all over the world and I've seen, um, you know, even when things were so good here in America, you know, and we had great economic times and everybody's prosperous unemployment rate is low. I would go to some of these countries where gemstones actually mined or sometimes are cut or manufactured. And, you know, people are living on, um, you know, like $50 a month, like entire families. And when you go there, um, you know, I, a lot of when I go to these places, I don't like to go to fancy restaurants or anything. I actually try to hang out with the people working the factory. And once I heard that, you know, like how much money they were making and all that from the owner of this one obscure factory, Literally, my heart just literally like dropped to the floor and I just lost all my appetite. And um, I looked at him and I was like, um, he said, you know, he looked at me and he said, this guy was a very intuitive guy. And he said, you know, I know what you're thinking and I know how you feel because that's what I, that's how I felt. And, um, when I first came to China, so he was a Korean guy who actually opened the factory in China. He said, when I came to, uh, China and, um, I asked like, how much should I pay my employees? And the answer was $35 a month. So he said, uh, my heart sank and I said, I can't do it. And, um, so he said he actually, uh, and this was a pretty young guy, you know, really well-to-do, uh, from a pretty well-to-do family who owned these factories. And he said, I um, created a second floor where people can, they don't have to pay rent or do anything. They could actually live upstairs and they can work downstairs. And um, and he said, I pay them 50 instead of 35. So I said, you know, I, I was still like pretty much kind of brokenhearted over that. And he said to me, Victoria, you have to understand these people are so happy because they are the lucky ones that they got this job that they have any job, you know, they're the lucky ones. They consider themselves so happy. They this is their dream. This is like their American dream that, that they're living in. So um, I decided to write uh, Shattered Sky because I've traveled all over the world and you know, literally um, had conversations and witnessed what people are capable capable of doing in various conditions. So and it's it's not a political statement by any means, but uh, I created this world where you have this extreme um, differences in uh, political views, in healthcare, in terms of uh, their views on, um, you know, just a lot of different things. And I created a character who's only like 16 years old living on a small island. Because when she lives in this island, and she's only 16, she's clueless when it comes to the world affairs. So in the shadow sky, when uh, she her father is murdered, her sister is like, kidnapped, and she's searching all over the world looking for this the sister, she kind of sees the conditions uh, and human reactions and how they actually treat their their elderly, the young, and the you know sick and whoever uh, in her periphery. So it's a murder mystery, very very like um, thrilling murder mystery that um, happens. You know, so it's it's a, it's a really interesting thing. Um, the thing about writing is that I have always read since I was since I could read, and I started reading since I was like four years old. So. I have read at least one book every ten days or so all of my life. Even now, I, I go through a lot of books, so I have very high standards when it comes to. And I read everything: mysteries, um, uh, murder, science fiction, uh, historical fiction. I, I'll read I, I'll read the encyclopedia if I have nothing else to read. So you know, I, I read. So I wrote that book, and then in order for me to market the book. I uh, I actually got um, attention from HarperCollins and uh, Random House and, uh, you know, many different uh, agencies have asked me to write a three book series on The Shattered Sky. So I'm on book two on that. But many of those people recognized me from HSN when I was on TV and they were like, why aren't you writing a memoir or a how to <laughs> book? So my answer was, first of all, memoir sounds like I'm like 90. You know, I said I'm not that old. And secondly, if you've lived your life, it is the most boring thing. There's nothing, I mean, trust me. There's nothing left life. at
2: that point. My, right? my life
3: is really boring. Okay. see. Yeah. I said, look, I will tell you, I might be really interesting for like two or three chapters. But <laughs> after that, like, it's just going to be all filler. I don't want to do it. And uh, so when COVID hit, I actually started to do a blog to help um, other women who are like suffering from You know, what's next? And women were doing a lot of work uh, around the home. They're taking care of their parents, they're taking care of themselves, uh, the companies, you know, all this stuff. So I started writing blogs about um, how to do things to help people. And then I realized, you know what? There is a whole book in here because, like, I'm teaching them how to build a website, teaching them how to go find customers, how to build a premium brand. Um, you know the difference between building a brand versus building a company uh, just all these different things um you know who actually is your ideal market um, so I, I you know I got them all together and I pitched a couple of agents, and I think I pitched eleven agents and all eleven of them said yes. that they will get me up like a really nice advance for the book. So that book is actually being- Graduations. Uh, yeah, thank you. So you should sign up for both of them because um, when they get released, you know, you'll know you get first notice and it'll be a release launch and all that stuff.
2: I'd yeah. love to have you come back on and, and discuss your books as well. I think it's it's always nice when an author comes on and shares their personal products. It's like, it's like one of your unique, one of a kind, uh, beautiful jewelry designs. You are your own Van Gogh in your own way. You may not think of it that way, but wow. think about your- <laughs> Think about your art. Your art's out there, and it's actually more plentiful and abundant than you realize. More than a Van Gogh in modern times.
3: Yeah, you know what, Jason? I'm so glad that you mentioned this because I—that is my goal, and I didn't actually realize this because when I... um, So I still do have the one-of-a-kind business, which is, you know, our average price point there is like fifteen thousand and up, Um, and really the the fifteen thousand is uh, pretty much the low end. Uh, We do you know quite a bit higher than that. But the one that's affordable that we have it on TV, you know, I've ha- I've reached uh, more than 10 million women. So m- more than 10 to 15 million pieces of jewelry have been sold. But what I want to tell you is uh, because I went from having pretty much what I wanted in my life to nothing, you know, literally we, my parents went from having their own cook at home <laughs> to cutting a single orange into eight sections for for their, you know, five kids plus the parents. So um, I decided that, And I watched my mom go from, you know, this very elegant, um, you know, just she was always careful with her money, but, you know, she had the means to buy what she wanted to having nothing, really had to stretch her dollars. So I felt like at that time, uh, making my jewelry affordable to, you know, all women, no matter what age and what income group they're at, that was really important to me. But now when that's why I wrote the book, because if you think about it. You know, I get paid really, really well on TV. Like if I go on TV for a couple of hours, I mean, whatever the book is going to sell for the year, I would make that. So it would be so stupid from business level, like a business model to write a book for like a year (laughs) to sell, you know, uh, copies, right? Uh, Because, you know, if you sell a book for like 10 bucks, your authors only get like a dollar out of that. So it is the most inefficient use of your time to make money. But in order for me to make my uh, teachings, uh, you know, really accessible to everybody for, so they can buy it for 10 bucks, that's a huge gift. And so I spent, uh, I mean, an absolute insane amount of time uh, working on um, the content that they, I mean, each of those chapters could be a book by themselves. And I decided, you know, I was told by everybody Victoria, like you don't, um, don't give them everything, tell them what to do, tell them why they have to do it, but don't tell them how. And I'm like, hell no, I'm going to go ahead and give them how, because I I give them my word, they're going to get it. Like, I'm not going to play around with this thing, you know? So, um, so I think making my art accessible was key with my jewelry for my literature and all my teachings. I think that is very, I'm still going to have the the one-on-one teachings and all that, like I do in the jewelry arena, there are some people who do want to you know, buy. If you have 250000 a million dollars to do like a piece of jewelry, there are very few people they can go to, actually. So I'm glad that I'm one of the people that they come to. And so when it comes to my teachings, I want to make sure that anybody and, who, anybody and everybody who's got a dream, even if you don't speak English, you will be able to start it with no money. Okay, I teach you how to start a business with no money. I didn't have money to even make a single sample. I mean, I had to sketch them out and give them like a hypothetical uh, looking you know, collection. Um, so I teach you how to do it with no money and it's going to literally cost you like basically 10, 12 bucks uh, when the book is published. And it's going to be an amazing book. You know. And then of course, to supplement that, I will have a lot of little mini videos uh, that are free download on my website. Um, so, if you don't have money and you just want to kind of explore that, that's there.
2: I want to talk million dollar hobbies. What mm-hmm. do those words mean to you, and share that with our audience?
3: Yeah. So, you know, um, I I'm like a little bit boneheaded when it comes to a lot of things. Um, when my uh, when I was at USC, uh, I took a marketing course, and you know, my marketing professor told me I was not going to be good at marketing. To consider switching my major to finance or something. Because he said that I didn't understand the nuances of marketing and all that. I was like, you know, okay. Uh, so I went ahead and got my finance degree anyway, but I also didn't give up the marketing dream. When I did my million dollar hobbies, a lot of people told me not to name it million dollar hobbies. Because the minute you say the word hobby, that they think it's just something you do for fun. And that you're not going to ever make any money and all that. I kind of wanted to uh, kind of bust the myth on that. Because I believe that um, anything you do with passion and anything you do because you love doing it is worth a million dollars, at, at least. So um, here I am, like, basically a living proof that the jewelry business is the most competitive business in the world, okay? Let me tell you, I have traveled to, like, I don't even know how many countries I've traveled. It is just massive. It doesn't matter whether you're in Dubai or you're in some little island off of, uh, you know, one of those cruise ships. To you go to Africa, it doesn't make any difference. There's always a Chinese restaurant and there's always a jewelry shop, (laughs) you know. And then of course you got bigger companies like like the Tiffany's, the Beers, Everybody, you know, pretty much, you know, killing you at both ends. So when I can, you know, do nine figure business with a hobby in the most competitive business in the world. With no money, and I'm talking like thirty bucks, you can do it. And I don't care if you're a chef, uh, you know, if you like to bake or if you like to garden, or if you're a runner. I can make that a million dollar business. But you got to be willing to do what it takes. I mean, you can't just go, "Hey, I want to run and pick up a check," you know? Exactly. You got to have the passion. I think you got to have the passion, and you have to be, you have to have the resistance and the and the resilience. You have to because you know what. Life will happen to you, and uh, and that that is the beautiful thing about life. All the things that happen to you, and one of my favorite movies of all time. And have you ever seen this movie called The Exotic Merigold Hotel?
2: No, i have not. Is it good? Oh
3: you should watch it. It is so good. <laughs> it is so good. Because, uh, there was there was two two of them, but uh, it is so. It's a British film, and basically, uh, in a in a nutshell. Uh, the the movie starts with um, many retirees are all anywhere from, you know, 70 to 80 years old. And uh, they're all pretty much in a hospital or something and they can't get their, you know, need replaced or they have to wait for like six months. And they realize they've done everything. So they have like a, a vice president of a major bank who retired, they had a federal judge, they had a governess, they had all these people that from different fields that thought they did all the right things, okay, for their retirement. And then when they Get to you know after five years of retirement, they realize they don't have any money, so or the money that they saved wasn't enough. So they end up getting this like each person end up getting a phone call, like a telemarketing phone call from some guy in India, saying that you could live in India where you get you can get medical care, you can live in this exotic, you know, marigold hotel, and it's um it's like like a dreamland. Okay, so you can come there and you can kind of live there at a fraction of the cost. So these people actually take that journey. And these people all end up meeting at the best Marigold hotel. And they find out that, I mean, it's beautiful photography, but it is dusty and all that. And they go to the hotel and it's run by a kid who inherited it. And it's like decrepit. It barely has running water, no doors in any of the rooms, no telephone. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's literally like what the heck happened, you know? <laughs> so this, the life happens and there was a beautiful line that, um, Two beautiful lines actually in this movie. And it's kind of worth seeing it. So about, you know, about a month later, they're all like, okay, do we go back to England? Do we stay? I mean, they're all reacting to this differently. Some people just hate the food. Some people like, you know, hey, let's make the best of it. But one person tells the other person, yeah, I don't understand. Like to the to the woman, like, I don't understand. Like we've done every single thing. We planned every little, you know, second of our retirement. We have everything and here we are, we have absolutely nothing and we're living the most pathetic existence, you know, that we ever imagined. And the other woman's, the older, the oldest one of the bunch says, you know, your plan A is, was never supposed to work out. It's when all your plans go out the window the good stuff happens. <laughs> and I think, um, and, the, and the movie actually ends up in a, in a really good place at the end. But I love that line. You know, uh, whenever I watch a movie, I look for the one line that's really great. I love that line. And, um, and then there was another line in that same movie that I love. There's two people having dialogue. And this one lady is like, oh, I can't stand it. Like, I hate the curry. I hate this. And I hate all this. I just want to go back. The, her husband says, you know, honey, let's just kind of, you know, we, it's unrealistic. We can't go back. When we go back, there's nothing there either. You know, that's why we came here. So she's arguing with the husband, the federal judge. um, He actually goes out every day and he experiences all the stuff, you know, the dirt, the kids, all the stuff. So one day they're all having this argument and the guy asks, she, the woman asks, you know, my, she, she asked the judge to, convinced the husband to go back and she asks him like well he asks her why don't you like what what do you hate so much about all this stuff and she goes i hate you know i hate this i hate, she goes through all the things she hates and then she asks him why do you love it here so much like there's nothing to love and he says i love it here because here you know people take life every single day as a gift They don't take anything for granted. And I think that um, you look at, so, you know, things like that kind of uh, shaped my uh, science fiction because you can, these people are in the same place and yet they have very different reactions and their actions are very, uh, only one of them actually end up going to, going to back to England. The rest of them actually really make a great home uh, and they actually help, you know, this kid with the dream to rebuild a place and all that. But it, it's kind of a really uh you know check it out. Sounds yeah, like something I can watch on the weekends. It gets some rain in Florida for the next few days.
2: So, so it sounds like something good to watch.
3: You know, when I uh fly to uh this international like when I go from Hong, uh, like a uh, LA to Hong Kong, it's a 13 and a half hour flight. So after two movies and three meals, you're only like 6 hours in there. <laughs> so you're like so you end up either reading or watching. So what I do is I will usually finish a book on that flight, one book, and then um pretty much like, you know, watch a couple of movies. And so Exact marigold Gold Hotel is one of those. But it has become one of my favorite movies because um it does give you so much to think about, you know?
2: Absolutely. We're running low on time, but I want to I want to point one thing out. One, I think from what we were talking during our interview today, yeah. I think your creative stuff's not going to end with the stuff you've done already. I think you will move into film or some type of video production in the future with someone who's going to work with you. That's my prediction. Your creative flow is very strong. So don't be surprised if down the road you might get involved in other projects that aren't jewelry related, but might be a spin-off of either one of your stories or one of your novel. I feel like you got you got you got a lot ahead of you. <laughs> a lot of opportunity yeah. coming up.
3: You know, Jason, that is really interesting because I actually have been speaking with um, two different uh, producers. Uh, One really wanted to do a a life story on me, kind of like the movie Joy. Yes. Who actually is a pretty good friend of mine. Um, So, and I didn't want to do it because I felt like um, I needed to open up too much more about my life, especially about my loved ones. Like, you know, my sisters and my parents, and my husband, who doesn't want to be a part of anything, they they sure. they, they love their privacy. So I had to reject that. Um, and then there was another um, producer who was talking about a different concept. So you're not too thank far you. off. You're pretty intuitive yourself.
2: Uh, yeah. you? thank you. Yeah, of course. I'll say this. I also because when you were talking, I get sometimes I will get images from someone's energy, and I got a, I got your full name in production. A Victoria Lake production, something like that. It was across. Yeah. A, it's almost like a future movie screen or a video screen or something you'd watch. And uh, that's something that when I get those, I share those with my guests or with people in my life. Anytime I get a premonition or some type of vision or something, I always share that. So, right, right. yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask you this because we're running low on time. What do you What do you recommend? to any aspiring female entrepreneur who worries about the glass ceiling and how they they seem there's there's still limitations in our society and I, I, you you broke that thank god and you did that by creating your own paradigm but i want to ask you what do you think your recommendation would be to any female entrepreneur do they have to create their own company to shatter the glass ceiling themselves or what kind of suggestion would you have based on your personal experience
3: You know, I think that um, it depends on what the person wants. I mean, I have friends who actually love their corporate environment because they've cut that perfect deal with their boss, you know, and uh, they like it. You know, they don't have to work uh, a lot of hours. And I have a lot of friends who, you know, who really work, work is their life. But for the rest of us who seek, uh, who are in search of uh, that perfect balance, I would say try doing your own thing because uh, I'd say for Several reasons. Number one, uh, okay, so don't even worry about, about the money. Uh, money will come when it's right. It's going to come, uh, you know, I never ever try to make a lot of money. I mean, I try to make three grand a month simply. And, um, you know, the money just came uh, involuntarily. But I would say that you should start your own company for more than one reason. Number one, that's the only way if you start your own company. It's the only way that you can use all of you, your whole self to impact the world. So it's not just about you even, you know, it's about you can accomplish happiness for you. You can have an amazing growth experience and you'll be serving people that, you know, deserve a little better of you. Um, so, I mean, for example, if I didn't do what I did. I mean, there are millions of people, there are 10 million women who experienced beautiful, thoughtful, premium quality art, you know, in jewelry that they are now passing on to their children, their grandchildren for 50 bucks, 75 bucks that would have never been possible, right? Like heirlooms. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that that is the best way you can impact your world for the better. That's, that's first one. Second thing is I, so, so my daughter had a baby, uh, you know, last night, Let me Congratulations. You, thank you. I was able to be with her all throughout her pregnancy through all of the moments um, in her life, the milestone moments, because I had the freedom to work whenever I wanted. That doesn't mean I'm working any less. I mean, I got very little sleep for the last few days, but you know, I was w- able to sketch and things like that at night. Um, so I would say if you want that freedom um, and everything you do, uh, your happiness uh, starts with freedom, emotional freedom. And then once that comes, you will get your financial freedom. So that's second. And then lastly, um, when you think about the glass ceiling, when you think about uh, what you don't have. So what I'm saying is that for most of you who are listening to uh, this show, you're probably a lot more mature than a lot of uh, you know people that are just like in the middle of the wishful thinking phase. So if you're seriously thinking about what you don't have, don't listen to all these experts who have never actually lived the life of an entrepreneur. Because a lot of professors or you know reporters from so and so are talking about what you need in order for you to succeed. Like, you know, you have to have some marketing, some, you you know, my favorite buzzword out there now is like, what is your unique selling proposition? I mean, there's all these buzzwords out there words like monetization. Okay. Well, throw all the, those out the window, get back to your basics. Okay. Uh, think about what you do have to offer because what you have to offer, if you look at the total package, what you have to offer, you'd be amazed at, um, how much more you have than you think, because you are so told all the time, you know, uh, you're not good enough and your marketing plan is going to suck. And, you know, yeah, well, your marketing plan probably will suck the first six months, but you're going to figure it out. I (laughs) assure you of that. Okay. (laughs) You know, um, and you know what? The other thing too is if you don't experiment ever, then, um, and you always know the outcome, then you're living a pretty sad existence because you're never going to really experience Uh, what it's like to push the boundaries and get to the next level, right? So I would say for those reasons, I would highly encourage you to, um, to, you know, pretty much do it. And then lastly, when I started my company, I mean, I was told I was crazy. I had all these business cards from people telling, you know, kind-hearted people telling me, you know, when your business fails, I want to hire you. So, you know, here's my card, you know, I want to be the first one called because your business will fail. So I got all these, you know, cards. I'm going to say, you know, I was told you can't, you can't, you can't. Um, I'm just saying that today, everything that I had to pay for when I first started my business, like a fax machine or a computer. I mean, you can literally run a business out of your mobile phone today. Um, you know, calendar, Zoom, I, most of these things are free. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, it costs you no money. Um, and, and then, you know, a lot of, and then you have a lot of mentors out there. I'm out there writing a book. You can, you know, contact me. I'll give you a 20 minute free consultation about, you know, and I'll give you some really good stuff. Um, and there are a lot of women's networking groups that you can find on Facebook that, um, have been there and walked the walk. So, you know, think about So when you're joining these groups, think about it, this one thing don't look for the Tony Robbins of the world to inspire you, okay? They'll inspire you, but even if you talk to 10 women who tried their hardest to do their business and they didn't succeed, okay, they will still teach you a lot of stuff of what's not working. So get connected. And if you're serious about it, there's plenty of help out there. So I would say, but the most important thing is the reason number one, you can impact your world. You know, um, and in a way that's positive, and I and I know you can all do it because if an immigrant from Korea who had literally, you know, had no friends, no English, no money, no you know nothing, no mentors, it, it, I would I'm not going to say it was a piece of cake, but if I can do nine figures, you can do six. I, I guarantee you that.
2: Hundred yeah. percent. I find I find you very inspiring, and even for our preparation, our call for the interview, I was so. Uh, grateful for your your tips, even just on podcasting tips that we talked to you before we got on the show. Yeah. Like, you know, you have the natural mentoring ability within you that is so strong. And I think you're going to find that your success is driven within yourself. But then I also feel like the greater impact you make on people's lives is what you're doing now, mentoring people, sharing your knowledge, sharing your insight. You have that in you, and I think that's just so rare and so, so something to be appreciated. Holy well,
3: thank goodness. you so much. And you know, um, I think. Many cultures have some version of this and that like in Asian culture, they say that um, when a, an animal dies, it leaves its skin. So in the old, old days, you know, when an animal dies, like a tiger dies or something like that, you would use a skin to warm yourself or, you know, things like that. Uh, when a person dies, they leave their name by meaning that, you know, when you think of people like Maya Angelou, Nelson, Nelson Mandela, you know, Abraham Lincoln, they left their name. What that means is they left their legacy, Right. So I'm not saying that you have to be famous. I'm just saying that even with your own circle, and I know like in a lot of Jewish sayings, that they, um, you know, a person dies, the spirit of who they are lives among among the rest of the people. So I would say that um, you're on this earth for a reason. And as long, every single day you're on this earth, you have a purpose. And I know if you think you're not worthy, if you think you don't have enough of whatever it takes to succeed any of this, just throw it out the window because you were put here on per- for a purpose, and that purpose you have got to go search it and you got to find it. Because if you have time to complain about something, go find that purpose and try to do something about it. And lastly, and I'm going to leave you with this: you know, I I know that I've told I was told that my story is inspiring, but more than I'm not here to inspire you. I'm here to um, I I believe that encouraging inspiring. All of these is great. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I could be that. But remember, we started this um, interview at the very beginning of this interview with my statement, which is think about the one single step, the first step, think about the simple thing you can do today, because only actions will change, change your future, change your thinking, change your world. So that action could be, you know, making a commitment, believing in yourself or joining a Facebook group. I mean, you can come to my group if you want to, or you can, you know, jo- join Jason, anybody's group, you know, it could be that, but do something. That's, that's my only thing. <laughs> so
2: that's beautiful. I have one last question. And we'll wrap this up. If you were a spirit animal, which spirit animal would you be and why?
3: Uh, everyone says if I was sp- spirit animal, I'd be a dolphin.
2: Excellent. And why?
3: I don't know. I think, you know, dolphins are very intelligent. They're very friendly, uh, very compassionate. They're fun. So, I mean, I don't, I don't mind that actually. Perfect. Well, Victoria, I want
2: to thank you. Uh, Oh, by the way, direct our audience if they want to learn more about you, uh, share your information, Where, where should they contact you?
3: Yeah. So, um, I'm very, very proud of my podcast, Million Dollar Hobbies, where you're gonna find some amazing guests who have done the the same thing. They've taken their you know hobbies uh, to a million dollars. They all started their companies with no money, and so and you're gonna get real tips. We're not. We don't have a lot of people who haven't done, done the done the business themselves on it. So, Million Dollar Hobbies on Apple and all the different platforms. And then go to victoriawick.com where you could learn a lot about all the stuff that's upcoming, uh, especially all the free stuff. And for the audience that are listening today, if you have something, I can't promise much more than this, but if you have an idea, a quick, just make sure you do your homework and you can email me ahead of time, but I will give you like a 15 minute consultation about your, uh, a lot of people have trouble figuring out because many people have many ideas they have trouble figuring out if anything could actually come out of something. So, you know, the first thing I do is figure out your biggest idea, the biggest opportunity. I can do that in 15 minutes. And um, so you can come to uh, victoryvick.com site and, you know, like, there's like a booking thing. We're, we're not asking you to buy anything at all. So just go ahead and do that. So. Yeah. Great.
2: Thank, you. thank you so much for coming on the show. I deeply appreciate it. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I know everyone uh, deeply appreciates. Congratulations on your on your new addition to your family with your daughter. And I just yeah. I just find it such a pleasure. Y- your, your words of wisdom are are greatly appreciated by our audience. So thank you.
3: Thank you so much, Jason, for inviting me and uh, you know just allowing me to share my vision, my life, and all the joys of my life uh, with your audience. And uh, you are you know an amazing person yourself. So you. congratulations to your show as well. I appreciate your
2: support. Thank you so
3: much. I want to thank Victoria White for coming on the show today and
2: sharing her, her life story, her journey, her viewpoint on such topics as spirituality and being creative and empowering others. Uh, one of the things I, I personally take from today's episode is no matter where you are in life, it's important to look at your point in life and see where you're headed next. And, in, and from my vantage point, a couple of things I'll say, borrowing from our conversation with Victoria today, be resilient. Don't fear growth. Be resourceful. And above all, be impactful, make an impact in your life and plan your life. And I believe that through your goals and dreams, you can achieve a lot. So check out Victoria's website, check out her podcast, Million Dollar Hobbies. And until next time, stay positive, because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you.
3: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time.
0: And live in a life by your own design.
1: Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success.
0: This is Unapologetically Fab.
1: An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter.
3: electric acid.